Brothers and sisters, we are ready to begin our second class. Our speaker is Brother Jason Robinson. The theme for Brother Robinson's classes this week is the Tales of the Giants. Today's class is entitled The Grasshoppers and the Three Giants. Brother Jason. Thank you again, um, Brother Michael, and uh, good morning, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if you guys get your flyers, your brochures, your pamphlets, whatever you want to call them out, we're going to do a quick recap of uh, what we went over yesterday. And uh, yesterday was all about getting to know our giant. Uh, today, we're going to be kind of moving on with removing any doubt that you can beat your giant, but hopefully... We are all a little more familiar, maybe, with uh, who our giant is, uh, a little bit more about them. Uh, yesterday was all about becoming a little more acquainted with them. We hopefully, and we hopefully honestly, determined what our biggest and our scariest giant is. And we really prepared ourselves for battle. We're not ready to go to battle yet, but maybe in our minds we're a little bit more prepared against what we will be fighting. We determined if they lived in tents or strongholds yesterday. Of course, tents being those temporary dwelling places, uh, they're quite easy in theory uh, to cleanse, but they often come with the drawbacks of being hidden, a little more disguised, possibly even hard to find. Giants like these can live on apps. They can live on TVs maybe even on websites. Those kind of giants live in tents. They're easy to get rid of physically, but you have to be able to do it mentally. And then there's the stronghold giants. They're fortified, a little bit more unmovable when it comes to actually cleansing your life of them. Their drawbacks aren't that they're hidden. In fact, strongholds are quite the opposite, aren't they? Strongholds can be very visible and uh, very easy to see. Giants in strongholds can often be conflicts with our brothers and sisters. Maybe they are issues affecting your work. Maybe they're issues affecting income, possibly even addictions. They're giants that are often visible to at least a few, but they can be very challenging to get rid of. But we know from scripture that it's very possible to get rid of either one. Well, then we named our giants in what was a fairly silly ordeal, and I want to thank all those who shared some of their giant names with me yesterday. They were certainly some very clever ones. Uh, and then we assigned some homework, didn't we? And as students, can you please show of hands how many of you guys did the homework yesterday? Hey, better than the teens. Much better than the teens. Good. 25% of your grade depends on that homework, by the way. Uh, so with these four questions on page number one, kind of under our belt, uh, we now have a clear picture maybe of the battle that we have when we get home uh, and a good direction, of course, to move forward throughout our next five sessions that we have together. Well, today and tomorrow, we're going to be moving on to this middle page, the Nephilim and the Rephaim. We have two days to fill out these three questions, and I would like us to save this first one. Do you fully believe you can beat your giant? Yes or no? to the end of tomorrow's class. But I wanna ask you guys a simple few questions before we dive into today's topic. 
We've gotten to know our giant. Today's goal is to remove any doubt that you can beat your giant. But you need to answer very honestly in your own mind. You don't need to write this down, obviously. Do you want to beat your giant? Do you actually want it gone? If yes, you guys are ready for class number two. If no, you got to convince yourself that uh, you need it gone because there's no way to enter into the promised land carrying these giants along with you. Second question, maybe you're comfortable with where you and your giant are at in your relationship. You know, just because things are okay now doesn't mean that we just can't not fight the giants. Remember, Israel was taken care of wonderfully in the wilderness from the Father, even though they refused to fight giants. Make sure you're not comfortable with the relationship you and your giant have. And the last question is, do you actually truly 100% believe you can beat your giant? If yes, you can skip class two and three. If you're like, I'm 98% sure I can, maybe you should come to classes two and three. Uh, because we're going to see through scripture that fighting giants is pretty simple. Now, I'm going to ask you guys a favor through this class, and that's to remove your eyes. Because when you remove your eyes, what we're going to find out is that it's actually a lot easier to remove the giants. You know they're there, but you don't, you're not scared of them. You don't see how big and ugly they actually are. You see, everyone who was supposed to fight giants in Scripture was scared because of what they saw. Saul didn't want to fight a giant because it was big and scary. Children of Israel didn't want to fight the giants because they were big and scary. David was happy to do so because he didn't see it with these eyes. Caleb was happy to do it because he didn't see it with those kinds of eyes. Now, to begin, I'd like us to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Some of my favorite verses when it comes to this entire study was written by Paul to the Ecclesia at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and if you're taking notes, it's worth putting this kind of up on your list of cool verses in the study. I'm going to read a few verses out of this chapter, so just try to stay awake through a few of these verses. Verses 1 through 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. You see the stories we're talking about. We're talking about this time period in the Exodus. And were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they did all eat the same spiritual meat. And they did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. Then that rock is Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Look at verse 6. Now these things, he says, were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Brothers and sisters, how many of us wrote lust as our giant? You're not alone. 
There was an entire nation who lusted. Verse 7, neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. How many of us have a giant that's idolatry? You're not alone. There was an entire nation that's suffered with idolatry. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also were tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples or types. And he says, they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And then he says, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. So Paul tells this ecclesia in Corinth that all of those stories that you read about in Exodus and in Numbers were written for you. They were written as types for you. And then possibly the key verse of all the giant studies ever of all time is verse 13. There hath no temptation, there hath no giant taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will, with the giant, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And so what he says is that people, giants are common. You see, whatever giant you wrote in the first block here, you're not the only one in the room to write that. There are dozens more who wrote the same exact giant as you did. They're common to man. And you know what else is common? Your ability to defeat it. Everyone can beat temptations because God will never put a giant in your way that's too big or too scary or too ugly that you can't defeat it. So with that introduction, let's go back to the chapter we've spent yesterday at in Numbers chapter 13. And let's review just a couple verses before we dive into the three giants and the grasshoppers. So Numbers 13, it says in verse 32, again, reading this uh, as a review from yesterday, and they brought up an evil report of the land. This is the 10 spies, which they had searched unto the children of Israel saying, the land through which we have gone to search it, it's a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, it says, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. And it's these children of Anak that we have to be wary of in our own lives, brothers and sisters. Because if these three children of Anak were what scared an entire nation, then certainly giants can uh, have a habit of scaring anyone. Look at verse 22. 
This is a theme throughout this chapter. And if you're making notes or highlighting, it's worth just kind of mentioning and, and calling out on your page, the children of Anak. Verse 22, and they ascended by the south and came into Hebron, where Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the children of Anak were. Verse 28, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And finally, verse 33, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak. Can you tell what they were scared of? Can you tell what kept them out of the land? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's big people. And those are the same kind of things that can keep us out of the kingdom that has been promised to those who wait. If we're scared of confronting our giants, then we'll just like the children of Israel. It was these giants that really kept them out of the land. It was the fear of them and the sight of them. And it wasn't as if they went to battle, brothers and sisters, and they were beaten by the giants, right? It's, it's not as if they drew their swords and charged in bravely and the giants beat them back. They said, nah, we're comfortable with where the giants are at. We don't need to fight them. You know, giants do this. They, they terrify you. They can hold you captive without even waging war. Think about Goliath. He stood up 80 times in front of the people, 40 days, twice a day, and petrified the nation. They didn't want to deal with it. Giants are scary. There were rumors swirling around the tents and the camps, weren't there? If you beat Goliath, you'll be a prince. You'd Saul's daughter. And riches beyond comparison in your family, tax-free forever. But no one could be convinced to fight the giants. And so in verse 22, we're given their names. Hyman, Shishai, and Talmai. Their names mean brother of a gift, clothed in white, and to accumulate. And I can't quite piece together a story and some beautiful poem as to why the names mean what they mean. But they do seem to bring about this idea of wealth or bribery. Now, we're told three times in this chapter that they were descended from a man named Anak. And Anak means long-necked, quite possibly having to do with the fact that he was tall, maybe even had a long neck. But these three boys were the sons of Anak. Now, in Joshua 15, you don't need to turn it up, I'll read it for you. But in Joshua 15, we're given another puzzle piece as to this genealogy. Joshua 15, verse 13 says, And unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of Yahweh to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. And so they were, this, the Anak was the son of a man named Arba. Now, Arba means foursquare or perfect stature. And it says in verse 14 of Joshua 15, the next verse, and Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. And so we're talking about the same family here. And so we're given this nice little genealogy of the family of giants. Arba gave birth to Anak, and Anak gave birth to three other giants. And they were all very tall people. Now, here's the interesting theme. If you've already written and marked down the three sons of Anak, get a pencil, maybe a different color, that we can call out one more fascinating 
and yet scarily applicable word. Verse 28, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak. Verse 32, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And verse 33, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, but we saw the giants, the sons of Anak. And so what the children of Israel, at least these 10 spies were relying on, was these. They're two eyes. And then they say an incredibly revealing statement, don't they? The ESV words it, we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, verse 33. We seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. They based everything off of what they saw, and this was a very typical Israelite move. And if they seemed like grasshoppers to themselves, then that's exactly what they were. The battle was already lost. And we can't go into the battle with our giant thinking, you know, maybe I'm going to lose this one. Thinking that maybe it's not this battle that I'll get them. I'll probably lose the next three or four, but the fifth one, I'll get them. You know, fighting battles with our giants isn't like a diet. You got to get it right the first time. You got to beat that giant. If we think of ourselves like grasshoppers against the giants in our lives, then guess what? That's exactly what you're going to be. There's a verse that I think is pretty applicable. It's in Proverbs chapter 3. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Trust in yourself? No. Lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, Proverbs says. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And this is the exact message is relayed to us in Proverbs. What does it mean, be wise in thine own eyes? Well, this can go a few ways. You can approach your giant and you can say one of three things that are wrong. You could say the right thing, which is God will help me. But we can go with being wise in our own eyes and say, I got this. What's wrong with that phrase? I got this. Well, it's relying very much on your strength. You're not going to beat a giant on your own strength. We can also go into a battle with a giant saying, you know, I got this. This giant's tiny. It's no big deal. I can deal with it later. Or you can go into a battle with your giant thinking, I don't got this. I'll never be able to do this. This giant is too big and too ugly. You see, one version, we convince ourselves that we can do it all on our own. And the other two, we really talk ourselves out of beating it. So it's very, very important that as we contemplate this first question, do you fully believe you can beat your giant? That A, it's eventually going to be yes. But B, that it's an honest yes. Because sometimes, brothers and sisters, life can be going just fine. And we could be living with a few giants. And we could think, they're not bothering me. It's no big deal. I don't really need to fight them just yet. But Hebrews gives us something else to look to. 
Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight. Lay aside the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let's run the race with patience. And the race that is set before us, look unto Jesus. So our eyes should be focused upon one individual. See past the giants, beat them in your mind, basically is what he's saying. But he says, look into Jesus, the author or beginner, as your margin says, or captain, as the word means. Look into Jesus, your captain in this fight. You know, there's been one individual who's actually beaten every single giant. He's that make a pretty good captain when fighting giants. He beat every single one of them. He's the only person who ever, ever, ever has. Look to him as your example. You know what's even better? He's actually beaten all your giants as well. He's actually beaten every single one that we're going to have to deal with. He just wants you to go to battle with them. But if we're happy with where they're at, then we're probably not interested in going to battle. You see, it was the giants that kept them out of the promised land. Was it the walls? No. Was it the weapons of the giants? No. It was the three sons of Anak were there. But it was more than that. You see, there wasn't two million people who marched into the promised land and says, giants. It was 10. It was 10 people who ruined an entire generation's chance of getting into the promised land, who spread the doubt in the nation. Before them, Moses was as good as in the promised land. Before them, Aaron was as good as in the promised land. Before them, Miriam was as good as in the promised land. But it was these 10 unrighteous that spread this terrible doubt and this fear among the entire nation that blocked them from the land. You know, if you haven't already, you're going to run into these brothers and sisters in your work in the Ecclesia. They're the people who will openly doubt most of the efforts of the Ecclesia. They're the people who may take the easy path. They're the brothers and sisters who may show up to every single event, but have a few giants that they just don't want to fight. Don't be afraid to just get involved in things in your Ecclesia. It's good. It's healthy. You're never going to regret working on something in your ecclesia, but there may be the 10 who say, eh, I doubt that's going to work. And so, brothers and sisters, it was these 10 unrighteous, unfaithful spies who saw the giants with their eyes, and it was only Joshua and Caleb who looked with eyes of faith. And so you know what ends up happening? Well, we get to Numbers chapter 14. And the children of Israel have wandered, as we looked at yesterday. And it says in Numbers 14, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and they cried and the people wept that night. Those giants sound scary. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, of course, because it was all their fault. And the whole congregation said unto them, would God we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath Yahweh brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their face before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. So a brilliant plan, really. Because Egypt was so nice to them before, 
that they're going to send their children and their wives to become slaves. This was their solution. Let's go back to Egypt, they say. I don't want to confront my giants. I'd rather live in sin. And in fact, they say, let us make a captain to return us into Egypt. And it's very interesting because throughout scripture, we're given extra little puzzle pieces that help us fill in the rest of the story. Nehemiah 9 is one of those chapters. I'm going to read for you a verse in Nehemiah 9, verse 17. It's talking about this exact same situation. It says, And they refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but they hardened their necks. And in their rebellion, they appointed a captain to return to their bondage. So Nehemiah 9, verse 17 says they actually did. They held an election and they chose a captain. Brothers and sisters, our brain does this a lot, doesn't it? You know what? Not this time. I'll beat my giant the next time around. Let's go back to Egypt right now. I know I was a slave to Egypt, but it's not as scary as fighting giants. And so they actually followed through and they did actually elect a captain to return them to their bondage. But look at Caleb's speech. He gives a speech in verse 30 of the previous chapter, and he gives another one in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. But let's look at verse 30. Let's see what Caleb says. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and to possess it. Remind you of something? What about Sunday's introduction class with our brother Matt? That was Micah's message. Let us go up. That's exactly what Caleb is saying. We got this. They're just giants. You see, God didn't want the people to march in and fight giants thinking they were like grasshoppers. He wanted them to not even see them. He wanted them to see them as good as conquered. And so, brothers and sisters, do you want to beat your giants? It just takes belief. I'm sorry there's no magic pill, magic weapon that you can use. And I know it sounds cliche, you got to believe it. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, and I can read you these verses if you'd like. But if you'd like to follow along, we're going to start at verse 17. Hebrews 3, verse 17. You can tell we're in the exact same scenario. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see, he says, so we see that they could not enter in because of one thing, unbelief. They could not enter in because of unbelief. It was that simple. They didn't think they could beat their giants. And so the theme, of course, is faith is greater than sight. So if you get your pamphlets back out, the first real question on the Nephilim and Rephaim says, what reservations or doubts do you see 
that may get in the way of driving out your giant. What reservations or doubts do you see that may get in the way of driving out your giant? Feel free to answer that the rest of our time here this morning. But are you comfortable with your giant? That can stand in the way. Are you unsure if maybe you, maybe I can't live without him? Well, that's going to stand in your way. And are you just unwilling to go on without your giant? I've kind of become acquainted and adapted to this. Well, that's going to stand in your way as well. So what reservations, brothers and sisters, do you see that are going to get in the way of you driving out your giant? Well, I'm sorry, but we're still not quite done with Numbers 13. Last verse, we're given a very interesting little phrase. It says, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Now, this little phrase, which come of the giants, is really interesting. The giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. This word giants is a word many of us may have heard before. It's the Hebrew word, the Nephilim, the Nephilim. Well, it comes from the root word nepha, or to fall. And so this word Nephilim really means the fallen ones, the fallen ones. Now, we won't actually totally understand the full meaning of this word until the end of our study of the giants. But for now, we're just going to look at the introduction of these Nephilim in Scripture. Now, we may have heard before the many religious claims as to what the Nephilim are. They occur first in Genesis 6 at verse 4. These, there were giants or Nephilim in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in with the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Other religions, as we may have heard, assumed that the Nephilim were the angels that were cast out of heaven. It was a group of angels who rebelled against everything God stood for. Satan, the chief of those rebel angels, elected himself as the chief fallen one. And he and his fellow angels who rebelled were cast out of heaven and have been hunting humans ever since. And as the story goes, part of their rebellion involved angels cast out, having relationships with humans, and this resulted in the idea that giants were born. The Nephilim, half human, half divine. We may have heard that idea once or twice, but just from reading the verse itself, we can see that this doesn't make a lot of sense. First of all, there's many doctrinal issues with that belief. But also just contextually, things don't seem to go in that order. The fallen ones were in the earth in those days. And even afterwards, when sons of God came in unto daughters of men, and they have born to them, they are the heroes who from of old are men of the name or the men of Shem. That's Young's literal. So really, it actually is saying the fallen ones were already in the earth in those days. And then afterwards, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, well, they born to them heroes. So the giants really weren't actually a result of the marriage of sons of God and daughters of men. They were in the earth in those days already plaguing people. 
already scaring people. It was the fallen ones who had daughters that the sons of God married. This resulted in what's called mighty people, heroes, as some would view them. But really, we look back a couple of verses and we find out what the origin of them actually was. You see, in Genesis 6, verse 2, it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. They saw something about these, that they were fair, and they took. Remind you of anything? Does anybody else in Scripture before Genesis 6 see something that she thinks looks good and takes it? Well, of course, we understand that to be Eve partaking of the fruit. And the people were doing exactly what Eve does, did. They saw something they wanted, and they took it. And just like Eve, these people were chasing after this godlike, this hero identity. And it worked because some of them became mighty or men of renown. Now, some people propose that this Nephilim, fallen ones, comes from the idea that they fell from worshiping God. They at one time did, but they fell away. Some people propose that's what the word means. And it's true. You can't argue that they, at one time people did, but they eventually fell away. But there's actually one other that maybe fits a little bit better. And it's in many of the older translations and commentaries. And it refers to them as those who fall on others. And we know a few people of that in the first few chapters of Genesis, don't we? People who would fall on others. And so we read Genesis 6 and verse 4. There were giants, or there was the Nephilim in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them. The same became those mighty men which were of old, men of renown. They were men, the mighty men, or the Gabor. Now, I told you Tuesday was a little bit heavier. In Genesis chapter 10, we're given one of these Gabor. You may have heard of him before. His name just so happens to be Nimrod. And Cush begat Nimrod, and he was a mighty one. He was one of those Gabor in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, whereof, as it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And so it was this Gabor, it was this Nimrod who fell on others. He hunted those who followed after the name. We'll skip this for the sake of time. And so we then conclude, and we look at this, this phrase again. There were the Nephilim in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in with the daughters of men, they bare children to them. There's one last phrase I want to look at before we move on, and that's, and also after that. What a weird phrase. What an interesting and oddly placed phrase. And also after that. Why would the author put this little phrase? You see, the semicolon is actually not the best form of punctuation, and many, many other translations actually just put a comma there. It's literally like a built-in margin directly into our narrative. And it's connecting you to the only other time that this word Nephilim occurs. The only two times is here in Genesis 6. 
and where we just read in Numbers chapter 13. It occurs twice, and I think scriptures links them very beautifully. In Genesis 6, it says, and also after that, or their giants. And in Numbers 13, it says, well, those came from the giants. And it's kind of like a margin built in, linking these two words together. Genesis says, they coming after. Numbers says, they came before. Well, why would it put that? Well, Moses wrote both books. Moses was brought back to Egypt. He brought God's plagues. He stood up to Pharaoh. He led the people out of Egypt. He was a wonderful mediator for the nation whom he loved. He traveled, loved, and led with a single hope of entering into the promised land. And ultimately, it was these giants that kept him out. And I can picture him writing Genesis chapter 6. Imagine him penning that chapter. He's leading the children around the wilderness. And he uses the words, and also after that, they had not gone away. And he doesn't want you to forget the giants just don't disappear. See, not even a flood, somehow not even a flood could remove the influence of giants. And of course, I'm not saying that any giant survived. I'm saying they came back. This is exactly how it is in our lives, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we'll go through a Bible school level event in our lives. We'll be totally motivated to wash away all the giants in our lives, and it'll work. But giants have this nasty little habit of coming back around. And so, brothers and sisters, this is the danger of the giants that we face. But it says that they spied the land of Hebron. Numbers 13, verse 22. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And it's interesting because we've actually heard of Hebron before. Arba means foursquare or perfect stature. Arba actually was a city who was named after him called Kirjath Arba. We've probably heard of this name before. Now, Kirjath Arba means, just like Arba, city of four. Kirjath meaning city, Arba meaning four. And so this place called Kirjath Arba was this city of four. Well, what are the four that it was named after? Well, I think it's pretty clearly referring to his descendants, Anak, Hyman, Shishai, and Talmai. These are the four who lived in this land called Kirjath Arba. Now, we've heard of this place before. Sarah dies in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron. Joshua 14 says that the same place, the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakim. And so we've heard of this place once or twice. And we don't have time to get too much into it. Uh, we are quickly running out of time. So I'm going to go ahead. And I'm going to jump to our last point, uh, which we want to make 
this morning. And that's a very interesting verse in which Caleb and Joshua are going to try a last-ditch effort. Please, people of Israel, we have to make it into this land. We can't give up now. We're right on the edge. And it's a very interesting phrase. It's weird, especially in the King James. It says, um, Numbers 14, let's look at verse um, Eight, if Yahweh delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and will give it to us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only, he says in verse nine, rebel not ye against Yahweh, neither fear ye the people of the land. That'd be awesome to just kind of write on our giant, wouldn't it? Don't be scared of this. But then he says something really weird. He says, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them. You think to yourself, Um, That's not getting me too motivated. They're bread for us. Now, that should actually read, and it's worth writing this down. They are like our bread. That's what it should say. They are like our bread. What was the bread of the children of Israel? It was manna, wasn't it? That was our bread for the children of Israel. And Caleb and Joshua are saying, they're like our manna. They're like our bread. Their defense is departed from them. Does anybody's margin have a meaning for the word defense? My margin says shadow. And if your margin says shadow, circle it, color it, whatever it is, because it's beautiful, the analogy he's making. He's saying, these giants, they're like manna. And the shadow is gone. Brothers and sisters, what happened to the manna when the shadows left? It simply dissolved. It evaporated. It just dissipated with the sun. And this is the analogy he's choosing to use. It's beautiful, isn't it? I just absolutely love it. And he said, Joshua and Caleb say to them, the giants are like manna. They're just like this little piece of bread on the ground. that As soon as the sun comes up, they're gone. Man, if I could look at my giants that way, I'd have slain hundreds of them. But sometimes it's really hard for me to actually believe. I see them with different kinds of eyes. So the giants are like our manna, he says. The shadow has departed and Yahweh is with us. Of course, Yahweh's strength being symbolic of the sun in many, many places. And he's saying that those giants, they could simply melt away with the help of God. You know what's interesting is Joshua and Caleb didn't make that up. They're pulling it from one other place. It's a prophecy given by none other than Moses himself. And your margin alludes to it in Exodus 15, verse 15. Moses has just crossed the Red Sea. The Egyptians lie slain on the shore, and he sings his song, And he says, then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab trembling shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. And this exact scenario that Joshua and Caleb were pleading with the people to see had been prophesied on the other edge of their wanderings. 
And Caleb and Joshua echo those words, the prophecy. But as we know, to no avail. So, brothers and sisters, as we wrap up our thoughts this morning, we've hopefully started to see that beating giants, no matter how big, is totally possible. The first step, though, is you got to look at them with different eyes. Don't see them with these eyes that hold doubt, but instead focus on them with these eyes of faith. And tomorrow, we're going to look at the failure of the feeble giants. Giants, brothers and sisters, who were easily defeated by those who simply believed that they could.